today is September the 13th. Is an inferiority complex sin? Let's find out together as we study 1 Samuel 11 to 15. In our reading today in the book of 1 Samuel chapters 11 to 15, you will have noticed that initially in chapter 11, Saul has just been named king. And yet he goes back home. He doesn't make a palace. He goes home and he is actually plowing his father's field. Being made the king doesn't seem to make much of a difference to Saul. But the king of Ammon, east of the Jordan River, approached the two and a half tribes over there. He began to attack them. They said, oh, make a treaty with us. Um, we'll, we'll be your servants. The king said, okay, but I will gouge out the right eye of every male of Israel. At least the ones that lived east of the Jordan River. They said, give us seven days to think about this. During the seven days, they sent a messenger to Saul. Saul happened to be plowing the fields. When he got the message, he took the two oxen that he was using to plow the fields, and he cut them into six pieces. He sent those six pieces, 12 now, uh, of the two oxen, to uh, all of the tribes of Israel and says, this is what will happen if you don't come to fight for Israel. Israel comes, and that day they overthrow the king of Ammon. Um, at the end of that time, Samuel says, uh, verse 14, let's go to Gilgal, let's all go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom. And there they renewed the kingdom and made Saul king this time it took. He had been anointed king. This was really his baptism by fire, leading the army of Israel against an enemy that was seeking to destroy Israel. So at the end of that time, Samuel said, let's make Israel uh, uh, a nation. In chapter 12, Samuel uh, gives uh, what my Bible calls his farewell speech. Certainly he doesn't speak to the nation of Israel again, although he continues on as a major figure in Israel for several chapters. In that speech, he tells Israel, you know, you're a pretty rotten bunch. <laughs> he said, look at everything God has done for you, and yet you wanted a king. Um, God gave you a king. He's given you this great victory. But God is your true king. At the end of his speech, he says, now watch what God does. And uh, the Lord in verse 18, chapter 12, 18, Samuel called to the Lord. The Lord said, thunder and rain that day. All the people were terrified of the Lord. And they said, oh, take back your king. And Samuel said, no, no, no. You asked for the king. You've got it. Uh, wasn't a great idea, but you 
Just keep following the Lord. Now, the next three chapters, 13, 14, and 15, really focus on Saul. Saul is established as a king. He has actually led Israel uh, to battle. They've had success. In chapter 13, verse 2, he forms a standing army. Now, this is really smart of Saul. He takes 300 men and he, or 3,000 men and he says, we're going to specialize in warfare. And indeed they did. Now, not many nations did that. When the king wanted to go to battle, he'd call the farmers together and they would literally bleat, beat their plowshares, which were straight iron uh, shafts and blades bent at the end to turn over the earth. They'd beat them into swords. They'd beat that bend out so that it'd be straight. They'd use that as a sword. When the war was over, they'd beat that sword back into the twist. It was a plow again. Um, but Solomon has 3,000 soldiers now dedicated to battle. And they begin to have success against the 15. In chapter 13, he goes up against the Philistine army. Samuel tells him, Saul, you wait till I get there. When I get there, I'll make a sacrifice. Then you go and fight the enemy. So Saul waited, and he waited, and he waited. Samuel had said, I'll be there within seven days. By the sixth day, Saul looked and he saw that people were leaving his army. So he gathered together the, the bulls. He sacrificed the bulls himself. And as soon as he does, up walks Samuel. He says, what have you done? I told you to wait for me. Saul said, you didn't come. Samuel said, I told you I'd be here within seven days. It's still the seventh day. Nevertheless, uh, Israel defeated uh, the Philistines that day. Chapter 14, Jonathan, Saul's son, apparently is a very prominent warrior. He and his bodyguard, his shield bearer, uh, are together. And Jonathan says, there's a Philistine garrison up on top of that ridge across the valley from us. Let's go take it. Shieldbearer says, are you sure? Jonathan says, we'll go over there. If they say go home, we'll go home. But if they say, hey, come on up, we'll fight you. Then we'll go. We'll know the Lord has given us the battle. They go over. The Philistine garrison says, come on up. And Jonathan is an unstoppable whirlwind. He is, he's knocking down Philistines right and left. The shield bearer comes behind him with a knife and slits their throats, kills them. Uh, that garrison is routed. They begin to run away. So the Philistine army is now running away. The Israelites see what's happening. Saul says, what's going on? They look and they can't find Jonathan. They say, it must be Jonathan. Saul says, let's go. But Saul also says, 
I'm declaring a fast today. Now, they're not prepared for war. Saul didn't consult the Lord. He just declared a fast. You read the story how during the day, Jonathan, from fighting all day long, uh, at one point finds a beehive full of honey. He takes the honey. He's refreshed. He keeps on fighting. Israel doesn't eat all day. They run out of energy. They can't chase the Philistines. At the end of the day, Saul says, Jonathan, you ate honey. You must die. And the people come forward and say, how can he die? He was the hero of the battle. Chapter 15. Saul begins to fight the Amalekites. Samuel tells him, uh, the Lord is declaring this harem. Uh, drive everybody out. I recently read an article that uh, says that the harem war is not necessarily kill everyone, but destroy them. There's a difference between killing everyone and destroying them. By destroying them, you destroy them as a city, you drive them out, you force them to go somewhere else to live. That's apparently what Israel was doing. But Saul took the animals. He kept the animals and he kept the king of uh, Amalek. Um, Samuel approaches Saul after this. And Saul comes out to meet him and says, I've obeyed the Lord. Look at our victory. Samuel says, then why do I hear sheep bleeding and cows mooing? And Samuel said, well, the bloodline of our livestock, I kept the best and we'll improve our bloodline. And Samuel says, why didn't you obey the Lord? He told you to destroy everything that you found. As a result, Samuel starts to walk away from Saul. Saul, seeing Samuel turn his back on him, grabs Samuel's cloak, and Samuel pulled with such ferocity, and Saul held on with such tenacity that Samuel's cloak tore. Chapter 15, verse 28, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. He's given it to someone else, one who is better than you. We started today with the question, is an inferiority complex sin? What does that have to do with our lesson here? Take a look at chapter 15, verse 17. When Samuel confronted Saul, he said, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. Saul's problem was a lack of self-esteem, an inferiority complex. Is that sinful? Well, no. But what you do with it might be. Saul's inferiority complex 
drove him to not wait for Samuel and to go ahead and offer sacrifices in place of the priest. Saul's inferiority complex drove him to say to Jonathan, today you'll die because you disobeyed me. Saul's inferiority complex draw him to disobey God and keep large segments of the livestock of Amalek and keep the king of Amalek alive. He would be imprisoned for the rest of his life. But Saul could always go and see the kings that he had defeated and bolster his own self-concept. Saul's inferiority complex drove him to sin. Is an inferiority complex sin? No. No, it's not. But it can drive you to sin, either by what it causes you to do or by what it keeps you from doing. Like, follow, and subscribe to this devotional on whatever platform you use to listen to it. Email your questions to us at questions at becomehope.com. Tomorrow, we'll answer the question, if God is in charge, what should we do?